The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. My, my, we got a packed house. Everybody's, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. I'm, I'm tripping over my words a lot. I'll just go ahead and tell you what happened in the first service in case it happens again. I was trying to say circumstances, and it came out as circumcision. I was like, we were just preaching on that, all right? All right, okay, so hey, I'm sorry about that. So there's no tell what I'm going to say this morning. But as we uh, are reading through the, uh, the book of Genesis, we come to chapter 21, chapter 22. We're focusing on chapter 22. Chapter 21 is basically the faithfulness of God, three scenes that show how God is faithful. And then we come to chapter 22, and we see Abraham's faithfulness is being tested. Now, when I say the word test... A lot of people have a little test anxiety that just naturally creeps up in us. We don't think of positive things. We don't have a positive connotation associated with tests, do we? We've got a lot of students in this service. We have a lot of med students. And so when you say test, it's like, okay, my whole future is hanging on the, in the balance of how I do on this written exam. How in the world could that not be a negative thing, right? Test brings out fear, anxiety, stress, anguish. Uh, and oftentimes that makes sense because whether it's our careers, when, when, you know, we never really outgrow tests. When we, when we graduate from college and get our career, in order to get uh, a license to perform our duties, we have to pass an exam. And so that brings, brings uh, anxiety in our minds. Uh, when we're trying to learn how to drive, we have to pass the driver's test. Thank the Lord that we have to pass the driver's test before we hit the interstate. But test is not always a negative thing. Uh, there's a positive side to test that maybe teachers probably have a hard time thinking of it positive too, but because they got to grade them. But the positive side of test is you have students who have a body of knowledge. They, they hopefully have spent a lot of time studying, and a test gives them an opportunity to reveal what they've learned. A test gives them opportunity to say, okay, I am proficient in this knowledge and I can move on to the next class and then ultimately I get to graduate and move on. And so tests can also have positive connotations to it. Um, we, we test metals and we test steel to make sure that it is structurally sound and then incredible feats of construction and architecture are performed because those Tests have been done, and so there's a lot of good that comes from those tests. We personally uh, find that we test our children along the way as we develop them, and they grow in their uh, confidence through these tests, like thinking of driving. When they first get their driver's license, they pass that first test, but we know that's not it. We still have further tests that we want them to pass. For example, we tell our kids, your first time you drive to Bird High School, do not go I-49. I want you to go the back roads. And then they graduate. Okay, you did good. We didn't have any massive wrecks. Now you're ready to go down I-49. And just little by little, we test them and we prove their abilities through these tests until finally, uh, last week, my high schooler drove to Ruston to see her other child. Now, you talk about anxiety related to tests. Mom and dad had anxiety. But the one who passed the test earned great freedoms and independence that came with the proving of their abilities through these series of tests. So test is not always negative. In this text today, we're seeing Abraham is in an insane test. It is his final exam. It is the test 
of a lifetime, but it's the positive sense of the test. We need to know that the scripture says that God never tempts us. God never tempts us to sin. That would be more of a negative connotation of this test. God doesn't do that. But in the positive sense of the word, God uses tests and trials to bring about many great things in our life, to build within us, to prove what's in us, to prove what we have grown in our faith, to, to build within us a confidence and a, an equipping, a validation for his plans and his purposes. In fact, in Philippians, Paul says that God is faithful. He says, for I am confident of this very thing that He, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And really, that's what this life is. It is a perfecting of your faith until Christ returns and finishes that perfection process. And so our life is a journey of tests and trials where God is positively growing and strengthening and validating our faith so that we can do what he's called us to do, preparing us for every good work that he has for us, so that we can greater worship him. And that's what we see going on in Abraham's life. My, my prayer today is that we see that this is the culminating test of Abraham's life. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, Abraham has been on a journey. In Genesis 12, God said, get up, leave your hometown, and head to a place I'm going to tell you. And we've watched him stumbling and bumbling through that journey, one trial, one test after another. And now at the end of his life, in the last final large narrative we have of Abraham in the scriptures, we see his final exam. And my prayer is that through this study, we realize that the trials and the tests that you go through, that God has a great plan for those in your life. That God wants to use those trials to prove, to validate, to build your faith in him. Father, I pray that you'll do that this morning. As we look at this insane test that Abraham goes through. Because that's the way we feel about it, Lord, if we're honest. That when we go through our own insanity that we will be faithful, that you will help us understand how to be faithful in those tests, that we may be tried and true, proven, equipped for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the test in verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to do, we're going to look at Abraham's response to the test, and then an angel of the Lord actually provides a little analysis for us. So the test, the response, and then the analysis. So first of all, what is this test that Abraham has to take? Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Now after these things is referring to what we studied last week, after Abraham and Abimelech, and then what we read in chapter 21 where God was proven faithful, and now we see in chapter 22, Abraham's faithfulness is being tested. Now, why does the writer of the scriptures, God's inspired writer, the author, Moses, tell us right up front? 
this is a test. This is only a test from the emergency broadcast system. Every one of you, I got your attention. If it were a real emergency, here's what you would do. The writer tells us right up front, this is just a test. God will not have you kill your child. As readers, we need to know that. But we also know Abraham doesn't know that. Abraham lives in a culture where there was child sacrifice, where people were insane and thought that they would worship their false gods through child sacrifice. So Abraham is in a massive crisis of faith. As God comes to him and says to Abraham, continuing in verse 1, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take now your son, your only son, meaning your heir, your only heir, whom you love so much, Isaac, the long-awaited son, Isaac, the treasure of your heart, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Whoa. Now, when he said offer him as a burnt offering, Abraham knew exactly what that was. It's a whole burnt offering. It's a whole burnt offering where later we see in the law of Moses that they were to take the animal and offer it to the Lord, and it would be completely incinerated on the fire. And it was a picture of total devotion to the Lord, that I am wholly committed, I am, I am totally spent to the Lord. It's an act of worship and complete wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And so the Lord is saying to Abraham, take Isaac, your treasured son, and offer him as worship to me, dedicating your whole self to me. Complete devotion I want from you, Abraham. And why did he choose Isaac? Why not some really valuable animal, your best animal? Why? But why Isaac? Because they were barren, and they prayed, and God answered, and God promised, you're going to have a son, and they longed for this son, and then the son God gave them as a gift, that God gifted them Isaac, and they treasured Isaac. Isaac was their whole world. All their future hopes and dreams are in Isaac. All that God said, I'm going to do for you and through you, hinges on Isaac. He was their world. He was their hope. He was their treasure. He was their identity. He was everything. And so surely they were tempted for this gift from God to become their God. Surely that's the temptation of their heart. So God is saying, who do you worship? Do you worship the God who gave you Isaac or are you worshiping Isaac? If you want to worship me, you lay it all 
at my feet. So as you come here today, God brought you here today to hear this text. And God is putting you through a test, through his scriptures. And let me tell you, that's the best kind of test because it's a cognitive test. He takes you through the scriptures and he challenges us and tests us and tries us through the reading of his word. And he's asking you today, who is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? What wonderful gift has God given you? And it has become your hope, your treasure, your identity, your status, your future, your it's your world, that if this was taken from me, I could not make it. I wouldn't be able to live. And God is telling you today, that needs to be sacrificed on the altar of worshiping God. You see, why is God doing this? Because it's not good for us to have false gods. All they do is enslave us and lead us down a path of despair and destruction when you are clinging to a false God, you are riddled with anxiety. When you are clinging to a false God, you will be stressed and anxious and worried and overcome with anxiety to, you don't want your world to fall apart. And God's saying, I've got you. I'm your world. To worship me, to, to experience my plans and purposes for your life, you need to let go of that and place it on the altar of worship to God. So what is your Isaac? Who is your Isaac this morning? The Lord is putting you through the test. Now we need to look at the response. We've seen the test. God says, sacrifice your treasured possession, your son, on the altar. And now how does Abraham respond? Verses 3 through 12. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. So here we see incredible, immediate obedience. It's amazing. God, just like we saw in Genesis in the beginning of Genesis, God says, Abraham, I want you to go to a place. I'm going to tell you. Abraham arose and he went. He learned in that test that God proved faithful when I launched out on this scary journey of going where I don't even know is going to be. And now the almost exact same phrasing, Abraham, get your son. You're going to offer him on a mountain I will show you. And Abraham has grown in his faith. And now we see he immediately responds in obedience as a result of the previous trials and testing he's been through. He has seen God is trustworthy. And so he raises up, gathers his servants, gathers his son, chops firewood. But don't get me wrong. 
This text is intentionally written very different than most of the narratives we've been reading. This one freezes time and goes diving in so that we enter into Abraham's experience. Details. He chopped the wood. He gets the servants. He gathers Isaac. And they rise and they start to walk. The author wants us to experience the angst and the the difficulty of following God in this crazy calling. And we should feel the, the struggle with Abraham. Imagine what he's thinking as he's chopping the firewood. This is the very wood that God is asking me to place my child As he calls the servants to himself, we're going to go on a journey. But you have no idea what we're about to do. Isaac, come. We've got to go. This is a very difficult process. And that's true of our lives. There's nothing easy about idols being ripped out of our They're idols because we cherish them. We love them. They're our world. They're our identity, status, this career that I've built. It's everything that people know about me. This security, my bank account, my retirement. It is my hope for the future. My spouse, she gives me confidence. She believes in me. She encourages me. Or he is my security. He provides. Oh, if I lost my status. Oh, if I lost my comfort. Oh, if I lost my financial bank account. Oh, if I lost my spouse. Oh, if I lost my family. I could not live. God says, nothing should be your God before me. Abraham's learned obedience through his journey of testing and trials that we've been tracking with him through Genesis. And now we see he is immediately responding. In verse 5, we see this quiet, steady confidence about him. Verse 5, Abraham says to his young man, young men, as he arrives at the mountain where he's going to go and offer Isaac as an offering. He says to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Did you catch that? We will worship and we will return from you. Why does he expect that Isaac is going to return with Abraham after they worship. Keep reading in verse 6. Abraham took the wood, takes it off the, the donkey, starts to strap it on Isaac's back. I'm sure his hands were trembling as he took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, And as in a movie, as the camera lens goes from one item of the wood, laying it on his son, showing him carefully, binding it with quivering hands. And then he looks, and it says, and he took in his hand the fire, and he grabs a torch. 
probably rubbing his hand across and seeing the heat and imagining lighting the wood. And then with quivering hands, the camera lens goes down to his hand and he pulls the knife out of the sheath and it sparkles in the sun. But somehow, some way, the two of them walk on together. Something's different about Abraham now. At the end of his life, he has a steadfast, confident obedience. He's learned something. So he takes the wood, he takes the sun, he takes the knife, he takes the torch, and he says, we're going to go worship, but we're going to return. How in the world is Abraham doing this? How do we sacrifice the greatest treasures of our heart, laying them at the altar of God? It's such a painful, dying experience. The writer of Hebrews tells us what's going on in Abraham's heart. What Abraham thinks is going to happen. The writer of Hebrews says Abraham had faith and that's why he was able to offer Isaac on this offering. But Abraham had confidence that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham knew God. He knew he was good and loving and had great plans for Abraham's life and future and had great plans for Isaac. That from, through Isaac's line would come Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, Redeemer, Restorer of the world. And Abraham knew God is good. God has a plan. This is insane, but I trust God has a good plan here. I guess he's going to raise him from the dead. And with that knowledge of the character of God, with that knowledge and assurance of God's promises in his word, with that conviction that God is good and will never betray his promises, he comes to the conclusion, the only conclusion he can make, I guess God's going to raise Isaac from the dead. And so he marches on with steady confidence and conviction. He knows the character of God. And as they're walking, verse 7, the silence of Isaac is broken with these powerful words. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, and I'm sure Abraham was jolted back to reality as he's somewhere else trying to figure out how this is going to go. Father, uh, yes, my son. Here I am, my son. And I'm sure he grabs him to himself and Isaac stumbles over as dad brings him into his Yes, What do you want, son? And Isaac looks up him with eyes of trust, but eyes of confusion. Father, I, I see the fire and I see the wood. And listen to these words. Where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? As readers of the Bible, as we sang before we came to this text, 
When we hear about the Lamb, we instantly go, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the question of this text, as Abraham is is called to crazy, insane, radical obedience, is where is the Lamb? He's looking at Abraham, what will you sacrifice on the altar? In verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide. And that is the key point. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What an incredible truth to teach your kids. You see what's going on in Abraham's life? He and his kid... They're going through the crisis of a lifetime. And when Isaac looks up at his dad, what does he see? He doesn't see a dad saying, question God. What kind of God would do this? He sees a man that says, I don't understand everything, but I want you to know one thing. God will provide. Oh, may this be what we're teaching our kids as we go through life's trials and life's tests, and we don't have all the answers, but may God give us the grace to know his character. May we have read his word enough to know his plans and his promises and his character, that he will never betray his promises, that he is not a God who changes, that needs to repent of sin, that he is good and loving and faithful. And as we enter into those times of tests and trials, and it seems insane, may we be able to say to our kids, the Lord will provide. This is the greatest legacy my mother who has passed has left me. Trial after trial, test after test, she would look at us as boys and say, the Lord will provide Watch. And I carry that with me today. And when God called us to plant this church, it served me well. Nobody, nothing, no money, no building, no people. And Dana and I sitting there going, really? You want us to do what? And I hear the words, watch the Lord will provide. Are we teaching our kids this in the midst of trials and tests? Do you know the God revealed on the pages of Scripture well enough to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him that He is your confidence? He is your steadfastness His character is proven to you so much that when it seems insane that you can say, watch. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know who, but the Lord will provide. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son.
In verse 8, we continue, so the two of them walked on together, just steady march to sacrifice. Verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar. This is a worship scene, an altar of worship to God. I lay everything down to worship the one true God. He arranged the wood with his trembling hands and he he binds his son Isaac on the altar. On top of that wood, can you imagine the scene as the writer is encouraging us to put ourselves there? Imagine Isaac looking up with trusting yet confused eyes and as Abraham is looking down at his son with love and tears clouding his vision as he raises up the knife, stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. He takes a deep breath and he musters up everything he has and he's about to thrust the knife But the angel of the Lord calls from heaven, Abraham, don't do it. And Abraham exhales and he melts into a puddle. This is what it feels like to have idols ripped out of your heart. This is the cost of following Christ as king Everything, not just an hour on Sunday morning, everything. Will you worship God with everything? Many times in our journey of faith, we are in these similar terrible trials and tests where God is saying, you're holding back. And I have a plan for you. I have promised purposes for your life. But you need to let go of the idol to obey me. So what do we make all of this? The angel of the Lord who stopped Abraham from plunging the knife into his son. That same angel provides us some analysis in verses 12 and following. He says, now I No. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you worship God ultimately. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, your beloved son, your greatest treasure, your identity, your status, your hope for the future, you have put it all on me. And that's the purpose of this test. To reveal the confidence that you have in God. The purpose of the test. God has a beautiful purpose for every test and every trial you go through. And one purpose is that it reveals the the potential that's within you. The faith that God has put in you, he is bringing it out and he is revealing even to you 
that he has given you faith in him. And it it is revealed as the invisible faith is made visible through your obedience. That as you take scary steps of obedience, you are even surprised that you could do this. That God is using you this way. That God is providing every step of the way. Your faith is manifested, is revealed through your obedience in these tests and in these trials. And so that leads us to another purpose or another analysis here is that the the result of the test. Look at verse 13. Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram. Don't you know he took off as fast as he can. Give me that ram. Get off that altar, son. God has provided. And he offered the ram on the offering. As an offering, a whole burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So in this scene, we see God provides once again. And this provision, this New encounter with God, with Abraham seeing in a new way God providing, it enables Abraham once again to worship the Lord. And that's what tests do. They, the result of the test is Abraham's faith is enlarged and strengthened. And his understanding of God is clarified. Where he thought God would have him kill Isaac and Isaac would be raised from the dead, he was wrong. Yet in his obedient trusting in God, God delivered, God provided, and it enhanced and enlarged Abraham's faith and his ability to once again worship God. And that's what the Lord is doing in our lives. He is bringing to completion what he started, what began with, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness has been growing through one obedience through test after test, until now in the final narrative of Abraham, we see he passes the final exam. God has grown his faith. God has proven him. God has validated him. God has revealed an incredible, steadfast, quiet confidence in the Lord. Abraham knows God's character. And it is emboldening Abraham to do radical obedience. The point is this. Abraham has learned one thing. The Lord will provide. What do you need to believe that about? I can't, I can't, I can't give this up. The Lord will provide. It's all over the text. The Lord will provide. The phrase is repeated several times in verse 8 when Isaac asks, Hey, where is the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide. In verse 13, Abraham sees the Lord provides the ram in the bush. And and twice in verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And as it is called to this day in this mount, the Lord will, the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord will provide, the Lord will provide, the Lord will provide, the Lord will provide. Do you believe the Lord will provide? That's the journey of faith that we are on. 
at the end of this incredible crisis of faith, God renews his promises and his covenant plans and his blessings on Abraham. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, because you had faith which was demonstrated by your obedience and you have not withheld your treasured son, your only son. God says, because of your faith and obedience, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. These are all the promises God has been making in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You think obedience isn't important? We're all about grace. We're all about grace, but grace propels obedience. And it is because of his faith-filled obedience that God will accomplish all of his plans and all of his purposes in and through Abraham's life. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba happily ever after. Praise the Lord. He made it back home. So what do we learn from this? We need to understand that you are on a journey of faith. That's what this life is. The journey begins upon realizing that you probably identify with Abraham this story, but we really should identify more with Isaac. (laughs) The journey begins realizing we are on the altar about to be sacrificed because of our sin. And we are asking, where is the Lamb of God to be provided for me? I need a substitute Lamb. And the Lord provides Jesus. And Jesus says, I will be your substitute. And Jesus is slaughtered on your behalf. If you trust in Christ alone for the righteousness that God demands, for the forgiveness of your sins, he is incinerated for you. And as a result, we are fully devoted to God, our Savior. And that faith in the substitute sacrifice of Jesus is credited to us as righteousness. And then we are on a journey of faith through trials and tests where God is finishing the good work that he starts in us. And he is perfecting it and he is refining us and he is proving us and he is validating us and he is strengthening us and he is stretching us and he is preparing us for every good work that he has prepared for us to do. But underneath all of it, underlying all of it is this one simple concept. It is a deep, abiding confidence that God will provide. Through God's tests, potential faith is realized and formed into a solid foundation for our life. Let me say that again. Through God's tests, 
potential faith that God has in you in these tests, that potential faith is realized and formed into a solid foundation for your life. I think of it for guys, if maybe some women have done it, but I think mostly guys have dealt with bags of Quick Creek, right? You open the bag and it's just this powder. And you're like, what? I need concrete. And it's just potential concrete. It's a bag of formless powder that's potential concrete. But when it's agitated and stirred up and activated with water and that it is spent and poured out and formed into what you need, it is a solid foundation. That's the way faith is, that it's a seed in your heart that God has planted and he's going to activate it and pour you out and form you until it is solid for a solid life built to his glory. That's what God's doing in your life. And so what we need to realize from this is our greatest hindrance to obedience. It's not the lack of knowledge of God's will. Our greatest hindrance to obedience is the lack of knowledge of God's character. Let me say it again. The greatest hindrance to our obedience is not the lack of knowing God's will. It's the lack of knowing God's character character that he will provide father i pray that we will learn the truth of this text that you are faithful you are good and that every trial every test that we go through in this life is a loving good proving validating, growing, encouraging work of the God who loves us and is equipping us for every good work that he has prepared for us to do. Perhaps you're here today and for the first time you've realized that salvation is faith in the substitute lamb. I pray that right now in the quietness that you will pray that God will save you based on the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And that you will trust that he will provide salvation. He will provide eternal life. He will provide life beyond death. Trust Jesus right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Just say, yes, Lord, I want to I trust in Jesus as the Lamb that you've provided for me. That I deserved the penalty of my sin, but Jesus took it for me. Or perhaps you are there, your faith has been credited to you as righteousness, but you need to learn these two truths as we all need to every day. Perhaps you need to be reminded of the character of God. That he loves you, he has a good plan, a good purpose. But the trial that you're going through, the test that you're in, he is going to use it for many good things in your life. He is equipping you. He is bringing out faith in you that you didn't even know. He's bringing out faith that you can't read about in a book. You can't get any other way than just walking with God through the fire. And he's refining you. Maybe you just need to Resign yourself to that. Just quit fighting it. Quit wrestling with God and just release that burden this morning on the altar. Just let it go.
say, God, I'm going to trust that you're good, even in this insane trial I'm going through. And let him grow your worship as we continue to worship together. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.